Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Well, you know what the passage that we're looking at this morning is, and I'm going to come to that in a, in a few minutes. I want, to, I want to start by talking about um, treasure. And um, hunting for treasure used to be something that people did quite often. There were a lot of people who were looking for treasure. I think people still do this sometimes. Usually their last name is Chastine, and they're drilling for oil somewhere, right? Um, But really, that's what speculators who are drilling for oil are looking for, right? They're looking for treasure. Um, I recently saw a... I don't know, I was wondering, do you call them television shows anymore? Because we don't even have a television. I view it on a computer. I recently saw a computer show um, about some men in a family who were hunters of ginseng, right? Now, I don't know if it's a reality show or an educational show. I know that it's educational in that... um, it showed you how they searched for and acquired and dried and sold ginseng. It's probably more of a reality show when the 300-pound man goes flying off his four-wheeler and dumps into the dirt, right? And so you have this uh, strange kind of a thing that we have with whatever these shows are these days. But the fascinating thing is these guys go out and they get on the side of the hill and they're climbing up the side of these uh, Appalachian Mountain kind of settings and they find something that's sticking up out of the ground and it's just like that tall and they they go, and all their friends know they found something and so then they carefully dig it out with their little tool and then they pull it up and here's this like, not really big, sometimes larger than others, bulbous kind of root that they're looking for. And they celebrate. Now, why do they celebrate? They celebrate because they take those roots back and dry them, and they sell them for 900 to to $1,000 a pound. Right? That's why they celebrate. So in this particular show that we saw... They brought out one of these plastic tubs that we used to soar things in, and it was just about full of these ginseng roots, and there was like 60 pounds of ginseng roots in this tub, and the guy sold them all at once for $900 a pound. That's a lot of money for one plastic tub full of roots that you found on the side of a mountain, right? Treasure. We look for treasure, we seek for treasure, we're, we are actually constantly involved in treasure hunting in our lives. And even what I was trying to explain to the children, the things that they like, the things they desire, are things that they consider to be treasure. The things that they turn their attention to, turn their eyes on, are things that are treasures to them. But it's just as true as us, to us as well. And so this morning, I want us to look first at the Bible and what it says about some men and what they turn their attention to. But I want you to think about this in terms of the way uh, men are looking for treasure. Because we don't usually look at the Bible and the accounts of the Bible and certain men 
historically and think, okay, what treasure were they after? But that's how I want you to think about it as we go through this this morning. So let's start with Esau. You remember Esau? In the Bible, he comes to his brother, and he's in from a hard day hunting in the field, and he's tired, and he's hot, and he's hungry, and his brother has made a pot of what? That red stuff there, right? And he's made this pot of food, and Esau smells it, and he sees it, and he's hungry. And so in that moment, what was the treasure Esau was seeking? Food. And so in that moment, what did Esau give up? What did he turn away from and give up in order to get a bowl of that red stuff? He turned away from his birthright. And he is forever seen as a man who was incredibly wicked and foolish for doing so. Right? A treasure in a moment, seeking a treasure and missing something that was so much more valuable. How about Ahab? You remember King Ahab? What was it that Ahab wanted that his neighbor owned? He had a vineyard. And Ahab was so uh, in, uh, uh, coveting his neighbor's vineyard that he was sick. And his wife came to him and said, what do you want? And he says, well, I'm sick because I can't have the name. He won't sell me his vineyard. I want that vineyard. I want that vineyard. And so what happens is his wife goes and connives to have the neighbor killed so that her husband can have the vineyard. And Ahab claims the vineyard and he's happy. And he's judged. And she's judged because the action was incredibly wicked. But the treasure he wanted was just some property and some grapes growing, and he murdered a man for it. How about Solomon? Solomon went to God and asked for wisdom, and because he asked for wisdom, he received all kinds of other blessings, right? But as his life progressed, he started doing things that were foolish, and the main thing he did that was foolish is he started marrying wives from all over the place. I don't know why this man had an appetite for wives, And he had a lot of them. And what came with all of those wives were all of their religious beliefs and all of their idolatry. And Solomon, in order to appease those wives, started constructing temples and and, uh, places for them to worship their idolatrous images. And he became sucked into their idolatry, and so did the people of Israel because of him. And all for his want of what? Wives? Was it sex? Was it more children than anybody ever had? I don't know. How about Gehazi? Do you remember Gehazi? Elisha's servant? So the, the, um, the soldier Naaman comes to Elisha to ask to be healed of leprosy, and he goes and dips himself in the pool. He's healed. He goes back to Elisha, and he says... This is wonderful here. I brought you what? What does he offer him? Gold, silver, articles of clothing. Some nice stuff from uh, Brooks Brothers or something, right? Really nice clothing. He just offers them to Elisha and thanks. And Elisha says, no, this isn't the time for receiving money and clothes. This isn't the time for that. He says, go on. And the man goes home and he rejoices. But Elisha's servant Gehazi says to himself, hey... 
I'd like some of that stuff. I think I'd look good in that outfit. So he goes after him and he says, you know, he tells him a lie. My master does think it'd be good if he had a couple of things and a little bit of gold and silver. And so he gets the stuff. And along with that stuff, when he gets back home, he gets what? He gets Naaman's leprosy, right? And judgment. Because he desired a treasure. How about Ananias and Sapphira? They come to the apostles, they come to the leaders of the church, they say, here's the money we used to buy, or that we sold our property for, and we want you to see that we're giving this to the church. And they lied, and it wasn't because they wanted money, they could have had the money, they were told the money was yours to do whatever you wanted with it. They lied because they wanted their reputation to be increased in the eyes of the people around them. And so for the treasure of reputation... They were judged because, again, it wasn't a time to be lying. It was a holy time on record, and it wasn't a time to be lying. And so they were judged, and they were both killed. I realize that so far I've chosen all negative examples because I want you to see what the people were choosing. Because each time they were choosing something physical, something Uh, tangible in your hands, something they could acquire, something they could have, except for Ananias and Sapphira. And in that case, it it was reputation, right? But they wanted tangible things. Generally, they wanted temporal things, and certainly reputation is a temporal thing. But now we come to a verse in Hebrews chapter 1 that we're familiar with, and it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What we live by as Christians is we live by faith, and our faith is grounded in things that are not temporal and are not physical. They're eternal, and they're spiritual. They're not physical by means of what we understand physicality today in this world of the flesh. Okay? And so as we look at some other examples in the Bible, we can see these in terms of what they sought sought out as treasure. So we think about Abraham. We have Abraham who goes, and God calls him, and he says, I want you to go to this other place. So Abraham, okay, I'll go to this other place. And then God says, well, I'm going to give you all this, but I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you children, the numbers of the stars, and more than that, I'm going to give you a descendant who will bless the entire world with what he will bring to them. And Abraham lived his life never receiving any of those things. He just looked at them as future realities. And by faith, he followed God and lived his life. And when he died, he died in faith. And he lived in faith. And his wife, and they had Isaac, and he took Isaac up to offer him on the, on the mountain. And even at that point, Abraham knew, hey, you know, God told me this. And I know God, he's able, the Bible says that Abraham knew that God was even able to raise Isaac from the dead. He lived by faith. Nothing, he wanted more than what God was offering him. Nothing. How about Moses? Moses was raised in Egypt by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in luxury. He was raised with all kinds of wealth and power. And so, at a certain point, Moses rejected all of those things so he, that he could then identify with his people who were God's people. And identifying with God's people, he was then 
even further drawn by God to, to pursue that thing which God was offering him. God gave him a commission. I want you to do this, and this is what it's going to result in. So Moses does it. And he gives up all of the wealth, all of the power, all of the luxury of Egypt, and he becomes the guy leading the band of exiles through the wilderness. He also becomes the man who delivers to them the Ten Commandments. He also becomes the one who speaks with God face to face. And it's an incredible thing. But he rejects the temporary. He rejects the earthly. He rejects the fleshly. How about Daniel? Daniel is taken in captivity, and he's living in a foreign country with many of his fellow uh, countrymen. And as he is... uh, And he's actually picked out, set aside with some other men. He is set aside to receive this really, really good treatment. So he's set aside to have the best of everything. I don't know what you can imagine in your mind, the most luxurious, comfortable living, the best food, the best education, all these kinds of things. Daniel was put in a position where he was offered that. But some of those things came into conflict with what God had told Daniel and those people he wanted them to do. Namely, it came into conflict with how God wanted them to eat. He did not want them to defile themselves with the stuff that was going to be presented to them there. That's kind of disturbing to me. There. And so what? Daniel said, respectfully to the man who was in charge I'd like to eat veggies and water. Just veggies and water for me. Now, what he was being offered, just try to think of it. You know, uh, the best smoked brisket, the best barbecued ribs, the best corn on the cob, well, yeah, it's a vegetable, with butter, Uh, the best of all of the desserts, All of the chunky ice creams he wanted, all of the very best of everything was just being offered to Daniel. This is what the king eats. You can eat this too. And he says, no, thank you. I would prefer not to defile myself with that food because of my convictions. I would like to just have vegetables and water. Daniel rejected things that were real in lieu of what he understood that he couldn't see, it was, it was an intangible. By faith, Daniel lived this way. And as a result, he was given all kinds of, of privileges and authority in the kingdom and gifts from God and a place that is a high place of standing in the kingdom. But more than that, what Daniel, what Moses, what Abraham were looking for was what was to come, which was the redemption of God's people. Everything they did, everything they chose, all the ways that they postured themselves, they were doing this because they were looking for the redemption of God's people. Now, do you remember Simeon and Anna in the temple? When Jesus was born and his parents brought him to the temple, do you remember? They're not a couple, Simeon and Anna. They're two adult individuals, both older both in the temple, both have been told that they would see God's salvation come before they died. And so Jesus is brought to the temple, and both of them get to see him. And they get to 
look at him and I think hold him. Did Anna hold him? I can't remember. And so they're, they're saying, okay, promise fulfilled. They waited that whole time just so that they could see that one. And this is a very pivotal, crucial time. Because it's at this time that all of the work of faith that's happened in God's people, all from time antiquity past, all the way up to that moment, it's all just coming to its, uh, to its uh, the pivotal point, the top of the hill, the place where everything, everything has come to this moment when Jesus is here. And they say, okay, I don't have to live any longer. I've seen Jesus. I don't have to live any longer. And, and the fulfillment of the promise made to them comes about. Well, the Bible is like a treasure map. If you look through all of those accounts in the Old Testament, all of the time leading up, and even the, the discussion in the New Testament about those things that happened in the Old Testament, which I'm going to go to in a minute, you'll see that it's all about Jesus coming. It's all about the treasure being revealed. It's all about the pearl. It's all about the treasure. So let's read this morning from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, these verses aren't about buying our salvation. That's not what they're about. Salvation is a free gift of God. His offer of Jesus to us is free. Jesus comes to us by faith. Even Isaiah says, come and buy without money. It's a strange kind of thing, isn't it? Come and buy without money. Isaiah is prophesying, predicting about the, the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And so this isn't about buying our salvation. This is about the inestimable value of Christ. This is about the value of salvation. He's saying, look, compare it to anything and know its value. Understand what's happening here at the moment of the incarnation. Understand what's happening here as Jesus arrives on the scene and as he's about to do the things that he has been sent to do. All of Scripture leads up to the revelation of that treasure, that pearl, the incarnation, the revelation of Christ. Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And when in Acts 3 the apostles are preaching, and I think it's, it's as after they healed, uh, was it Bartimaeus? the blind man in Acts 3. I think after it was in the context of after they healed him, they appealed to Moses' words in referencing Jesus. And they said, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onwards Onward, also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God has made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first 
God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked deeds. It's the pivotal moment. Moses waited for it, talked about it. Abraham was promised it. Here it is all revealed in one. Jesus has come. It's to you. You're the ones that get to see him. You're the first ones. You're the first ones that get to hear about it from the witnesses that were there with him. We're here to tell you. We're preaching to you that Jesus has come. Isaiah talked about it. He says, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. They were all looking forward to it. And then when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, you know, many prophets and kings wish to see the things you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And I wish I could have, I wish we had a recording of the voice and the inflection. (laughs) And what these men were thinking. It's all coming to pass now. And you know, in their minds, it was a jumble at the time. Many things they didn't believe until after he was raised from the dead. And many, many a strength they didn't have until after the Holy Spirit was given to them. And so in more than one place, it is said that the apostles, I'm sorry, it, that it is said that the prophets and righteous men desired to see what they see and to hear what they hear, but they did not hear it because they had to live by faith in what was coming. And they believed in the intangible, and they preferred it to what was at their feet, the tangible. In the account of the calling of Philip, Jesus goes up to Philip and says, follow me. And it says, Philip went and found Nathanael and says to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Moses and all of the prophets didn't write about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They all wrote about him. Philip is saying, this is him. Do you understand? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It is the one they were writing about, but they didn't give his name because they weren't seeing everything at that time. But now Jesus had come and he is incarnate and they were seeing him. He was there. All of history is focused on the incarnation. And there are people all around Jesus and people all around the apostles after Jesus' death and resurrection. And they're all seeing and hearing but they're not seeing and they're not hearing. And many people just kept at their business, preoccupied with treasure that wasn't treasure. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Keep your hands up. Everybody look around. Okay, listen. If One thing I'm noticing is it's not getting passed on. So you need to read your Bible first. And then after you read your Bible... Read Pilgrim's Progress and teach your children to read Pilgrim's Progress and encourage your friends to read Pilgrim's Progress. Bible first, Pilgrim's Progress next. This morning I want to read a little excerpt from Pilgrim's Progress. It's difficult, it's a little difficult because the language is a little stilted, being old. But that's what you want to learn it in (laughs) because it will open up so many more things to you. And the the amazing thing is that 
John Bunyan, when he writes this, uh, one is it 400 years ago, when he writes this, he has such insight into his own heart. Whenever I read this, sometimes I listen to it when I'm mowing the lawn. And I alternately, depending on the state of my heart, either can't stand to listen to it or just have to listen to it. Does that make sense? Because if my heart is bad and I listen to it, all I see in the accounts and all I see in the, uh, the uh, allegory is the identity I have with the men in their wickedness. And if my heart is feeling the, uh, the presence of the calmness of God's spirit and his grace and mercy, I listen to it and I can see that thing, the first thing, and I can have faith. It's just, a, it's just a wonderful thing to read. But this account comes from the second book, and if you're familiar with it, it's in two books. One is about Pilgrim's Journey, and one of, is about his wife Christiana and their children's journey. And so his wife Christiana stops with the children at the house of the interpreter. The interpreter is a guy who teaches people things on their way, okay? And so as they're there, the interpreter is showing them things, and he takes... Uh, Christiana and the children into a room and it says he has them look into a room where was a man that could look no way but downwards with a muckrake in his hand. Do you know what a muckrake is? Now I'm a farmer from very early on and a muckrake is a pitchfork but it's not a pitchfork for pitching hay it's a pitchfork for pitching manure. A hay pitchfork has four tines and they're very wide apart. A manure pitchfork has five tines and they're much more narrow together. Do you all realize that I'm a farmer and I know the difference? Okay. And so he was working with a pitchfork for manure, a muckrake. It's an archaic English word for manure. So here he has a muckrake in his hand. And there stood over, there stood also one over his head with a celestial crown in his hand, and proffered him that crown for his muckrake. But the man did neither look up nor regard. So, and he kept raking the straws and the sticks and the, and the dust. So he's raking around like this. There's one standing over him with a celestial crown. What is a celestial crown? I know only this about it. It's not terrestrial. Its origin is celestial. And that means it's incredible, it's beautiful, it's more valuable than we can imagine. This one is above him standing, offering him this crown. Trade you, trade you this crown for your manure fork. That's what's happening. And the man just keeps going. I think I'll move this bit of manure over here. Oh, that looks like a nice bit of manure. I think I'll move it over here. And he won't even look up at the man. He won't even see what's being offered to him. And so the idea is that the manure, the sticks, the straw, the stones, the dust represents all of the things of this world that we would rather look at, be involved in, seek as treasure than what God has offered to us. The true treasure, the true pearl, the celestial crown. And so we keep plying about in the mud, right? Right? digging around, and we don't even look up to see 
We won't even see what's being offered. Well, this is true of us, isn't it? Absolutely true of us. We love to ply around in the muck. And so we, we just, we love our world. We're, we absolutely love the things of the flesh. So we love everything about our lives is sex. I am so sick of all of the stuff about sex. It's constant. It's in every news story. It's on every billboard. It's everywhere. It, we're just obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with sex. That's of such high value that we consider it an inalienable right. Every perversion imaginable. When I was a kid and, and there, were, there was innuendo about fornication, people would kind of grasp, gasp, right? And now fornication is just, you know, everything is designed for fornication. And we just look at it and we, and we take it in and you and I, we see it in front of us on our screens and in our billboards and in our magazines and in the conversations and we're just breaking with the world. It was 1966 when Alfred Kinsey said that the only unnatural sex act is that which you cannot perform. I was four years old. Some of you were a little older. Most of you weren't born. I was four years old. And every since that day, we have done everything we can as a nation to make it a reality, his statement. Christians, quit raking the muck. We have to stop. In our homes, in our cars, in our personal computer phones, we have to stop. There's a celestial crown being offered to us. And we prefer things like sex, or we prefer getting our, you know, getting everything right with our brains. We want to, you know, learn to love ourselves. This is another theme of our time. We're raking in the muck. Learning to love yourself, for the most part, most of the time, I think, is, is basically uh, making sure that everyone realizes where they did you wrong. When, when you make sure everybody realizes where they did you wrong, then, you can love, then you've got love for yourself, I guess. Right? And I, I believe people can do you wrong. Don't, don't do me wrong. Pleasure. Drugs, concerts, video games, movies, buffets, sushi bars, on and on and on and on and on. Muck. Raking around. Money. Money so that we can have more pleasure and the security to assure that we'll be, have, we'll be able to have more pleasure. Power so that we can get people to do what we want them to do, right? Healthy living today is muck. I'm just saying it's muck. I know you're a doctor, Adam. And don't look at me and say, yeah, yeah, sure, you can say healthy living is muck, right? But I'm just telling you, it's muck. I look at an article yesterday, and it's just typical of what you see today. You know, if you stand three hours a day, you'll add two years to your life. Okay. 
Everybody's going to run out and get the job at, as the guy with the slow sign on the side of the highway, right? We're obsessed with adding 10 minutes to our lives, two years to our lives. We're obsessed with it. Annie's grandmother contracted colon cancer some years ago, and her, one of her daughters went to the doctor, and, he said, and she said, you know, how could this have been presented, prevented? He said, you know, she cooked everything in bacon grease. And the doctor, you know, he's kind of sitting there, and, well, I suppose she could have had less fat in her diet. But she is 89. <laughs> 89. what's the goal? I'm going to live longer than everybody and I'll tell you then, you'll see, you're all dead. (laughs) But I was right. Look, I'm not opposed to uh, to healthy living, you know. I'm not against healthy living. I'm just telling you, it's muck compared to God and his eternal kingdom and his son who is the precious pearl, who is the the treasure hid in the field, all of these things and everything else that's this world that's fleshly, that our hearts are just clamoring for constantly, it's all manure by comparison. Bunyan comments that the men who stood at the foot of the cross were mocking Jesus. And it's an interesting thing if you think about it Think about it for a second. They were mocking the incarnate God at the very moment of the reckoning. At the moment when he was being literally cashed in for their sin. As at the moment of the redemption. They were mocking him. And don't think we wouldn't do anything different. And don't think that that doesn't mean they were looking at muck. They were. They were not seeing. Even then, the pearl, the crown, the treasure, they weren't seeing it. They were looking at this world, and they were thinking only of this world, and they were thinking, ha, he can't help us in this world, and this world is all there is. And we are as blind as they The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Why? From joy over it. From joy over it. Joy over what? What joy? Why be joyful? What does the sinner see in Jesus? What do we see in the pearl? Why is he a treasure? Only only those that need saving and know they need saving can see the value of the Savior and the sacrifice. What is the treasure that you're after this morning? What are you digging around with today? I am offering you 
a pearl. I am offering you a celestial crown. I am offering you a great treasure, not just a treasure, the treasure, capital T. God says, give me your muckrake, and I'll give you. (laughs) And it's not because your muckrake can purchase the treasure. It's not worth anything. You just have to turn and see the treasure and desire him. I offer you a pearl. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and following, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, have you seen the offerings of the world? Have you seen the buffets and the, and the sexual offerings and the money and, and everything? You've seen these, right? You have not seen him, you love him. He is the redeemer. He is the one that saves you from your sin. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation, here we go again, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. These guys, they they made careful searches. They wanted to know, but but Nathaniel came, or I'm sorry, Philip came to Nathaniel and said, this is the one that they've been talking about. This is who they were looking for. This is him. And the things into which angels long to look, I don't know how to explain that. They long to look into it because they can't understand it, because they haven't been redeemed by Christ, or they long to look into it because they can't understand it from the outside, and they just think, this is so incredible that he would trade pearls for dung forks. Only God would do this out of love. Only only God's love would do this. We know him, we worship him, we confess him eternally in his presence. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so we live this life, and we live it. We don't see him, but we love him. And we don't see him now, but we believe in him, and we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, and we accept into our hands the pearl. We accept into our hearts the treasure. We reject the dung, and we turn away in faith to the one who will give us eternal life. And we look for a day when in the in the blessed hope that grows in our hearts, we'll be done with this place. And we will be with Christ. And you say, well, I can't see heaven, and I can't see that day, and I can't see what it'll be like. And I say, well, I can kind of imagine this, and I can kind of imagine that. And the Bible says that I can't even imagine how it is. It's so good. So there. Neither can you. Tell me all your stories about what heaven will be like, and I'll say it's going to be better than that. Because it is. But we have to turn away from the trash. Turn away from the trash. Be free from the trash. Confess your sins. Turn away from them. Turn off the videos. Close the books. Push away from this. Go to prayer. Read the scripture. Read Pilgrim's Progress. Go to your small group. Catechize your children. Love one another. Live and do the good works that God has prepared for you to do. God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful this morning that you did not withhold even your son that the most precious commodity that exists was uh, spent on us. Thank you. We did not expect that. Thank you. Lord, give us faith to live this life as those who have so received and to live doing the good works which signify our faith in him. Turn us away from sin, and turn us to life everlasting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.